This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and prefund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. If you're someone who runs your own service-based business, then spending less time on pesky admin tasks means having more time to focus on your client's work, which is why you need to give FreshBooks a try. FreshBooks is the invoicing solution that makes it incredibly simple to create and send invoices, track your time, and manage your expenses. It allows you to quickly see and track the status of your invoices, expenses, and projects, and allows you to keep track of your expense receipts in FreshBooks. For your free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com slash freelancers and enter the freelancer show in the how did you hear about us section when signing up. This episode is sponsored by nerd.us. Do you wish that somebody else would handle all of those operation details when it comes to hosting your client's web applications? Nerd.us is a Ruby on Rails managed hosting designed to make your life easy. They migrate everything for you and new signups or referrals come with a $100 discount or a referral fee. To sign up, go to freelancershow.com slash nerd. That's freelancershow.com slash N-I-R-D and enter freelancer into the contact form for a discount. This week's episode of the Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. You also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if you run your business from home. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. Today at our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Hey, hey. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And today, we are going to talk about an important two-letter word, no, that all freelancers should learn to say. Tell us, Philip, why should they learn to say no? I won't do it. No. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) So we were kicking around ideas for what to discuss before we hit the record button. And I mean, I've had a bit of a journey with coming to embrace the idea of saying no. So I, I thought it might make for an interesting conversation. And also, I'm not the only person I know who struggles to know when to say no, why to say no, and how to say no. (laughs) So maybe we could sort of use that as our framework for this conversation. Uh, When to say no, why to say no, and and how to say no. I guess I'll say by way of a headline that it's been very empowering, and I think a lot of good things have come out of me learning when and where to say no and becoming better at doing it. I think, well, aside from the whole idea of positioning, which is – sort of deciding what kind of work you want to go after and oftentimes saying no to the rest. I think there's other reasons to say no as well that have to do with relating with clients and ultimately putting their best interests first or equal with our own best interests. Sometimes even that involves saying no to the very people who are trying to hire us. So there's a lot to it. And I don't know, let's get into it. I I think it might be interesting. I'd love to hear from you, Ruben. When is the first time you said no in a sort of intentional way to a client where maybe you would have previously said yes, and then you just realized you needed to say no. 
Well, let me start off by saying that when I started freelancing, so that was about 20 years ago, uh, and I first moved to Israel, so I, I met this lawyer who was like a self-employed lawyer, and he said, let me give you some really important business advice. Never say no to a client. If someone is coming, trying to offer you money, and wants to pay to do things, you should always find a way to say yes to them. Hmm. And for years, I held on to that advice. And it took me years to realize it was terrible advice. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, for years, I would say, oh, yes. So you know, people would say, do you do X? I'd say, oh, absolutely. And I'd maybe learn about X. And I would do things that really were not so much my expertise or I didn't want to work in them. I mean, the most extreme example is perhaps this company asked me to write a, an extension to the Apache web server for them, and I tried to do it in Perl, and it worked okay, but then I had to do it in C. It was like the first C programming I'd done in 10 years, and it was just terrible for everyone, and I felt terrible afterwards. And so I think it was only after a, like a good number of years. I can't even remember the first time that I said no to a client, but it, it finally was, it was more, oh, the first time that I said no where it was not a schedule thing, right? Like where I cannot help you because I have no time in my schedule mm -hmm. um, was probably just a few years ago when someone would say, can you do a project for me in such and such a language? And I would say, no, I really don't know that that well. Mm -hmm. And it was a weird feeling for me and it felt like almost a letdown. Like I was letting them down. I was letting myself down. Right. Like, here's this person who wants to hand me money and I'm telling them, no, I don't want it. Like, what am I crazy? Am I stupid? <laughs> and very, very, very slowly... I've gotten better at doing it. And I can't put my finger then on when it first happened. Yeah. But now it's starting to happen more and more. Although truth be told, it's happening less, less and less in that I'm sort of projecting a certain image where I turn away people without even knowing it. Right. Uh, who are not interested in what I would do. Oh, that's interesting. But, uh, so it was sort of a, a, a transitional thing where you had to, had to get better at saying no, but it, it got you to a place where you're now – not forced to say no, or you don't have to say no quite as much. Right. I mean, I don't think I've had to say it that often in part because as time has gone on, people sort of identified doing a, a bunch of certain, you know, certain things, but there were really a few times when people come to me and say, I need to do a project, especially with PHP. I mean, PHP is very big in Israel. Uh -huh. um, I mean, it's big everywhere. And, and people say, could you do a project in this? And I would say, you know, that's not really my expertise. I could do it for you, but it probably wouldn't be good for anyone. And that was probably the style of no that I said for a long time. And now I just say, like, you know, yeah, it doesn't happen that often. But when someone approaches me and I don't want to work on it or it's not my expertise, then I'll say no straight out. Mm. Um, and it feels less weird. Mm. You know, I am sort of a recovering people pleaser. So <laughs> it, it, it does not come naturally to me to say no, even if that's what I mean or if that's that's how I feel about a situation. It doesn't come naturally. What's, you know, what's natural if, if you're kind of coming from that, that psychological habit of wanting to please people is just wanting to say yes if you think that it's what they want, right? So that works out particularly horribly <laughs> in uh, freelancing, I found. I can look back to, I think, of the first four or five years of my freelancing career as a time when I made a lot of mistakes and, you know, did a lot of things differently than I would do now. One of the things that I did was kind of based on this mindset of, Exactly what your your lawyer friend told you 20 odd years ago was you need to find a, a way to say yes to every option, every opportunity, because, you know, opportunity is scarce. Clients are scarce. They're few and far between. They're hard to get. It's hard to win work. 
That was sort of the mentality that led to me. Combine that with sort of a, a people pleaser orientation, and you know, I was saying yes to stuff that was just. If I was a doctor and I was saying <laughs> yes, to, you know, you kind of use that as an analogy. I would be charged with malpractice, rightly so. I would be like, you know, the uh, general practitioner who was like, brain surgery, sure, yeah, I think. Uh, you know, studied a little bit of that in med school. I, I could pick that up on the on the job, and we, we can operate on that brain tumor, and no problem. That is a fantastic <laughs> analogy, because if you ever have to deal with medical problems and you go to doctors, you will soon discover you have to deal with an army of doctors, because every doctor is very specialized, and they'll all say, oh, I, I don't know anything about X, I don't know anything about Y. right? Or, or they'll say just what you said, which is, I did a little bit of that in medical school, but I haven't done it since, so you should really see a specialist. And they're not embarrassed to say that. Right. And, and, and whereas we're like, oh, you know, I haven't done GUIs in a long time, but I could totally pick it up again. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and it took me a long time to realize, no, no, no. If someone asked me to do a GUI, I just say to them, no, I, I don't know anything about it. And it's just not, it's not worth my time. It's not worth their time. Yeah. So there's sort of that looking out for what's best for the, for the project. I remember that I said, Yes, to and eagerly pursued a project that was uh, like, here's the situation. So I was doing sort of general writing freelance work and anything that involved writing, I felt like I could do a good job of. So, you know, if it was writing a white paper or writing website copy, that was fine. I had a background in that and also had a sort of a background in e-learning. And there was a project came up and they, the client needed some e-learning. And I had just sort of watched this video about gamification and I was like, oh, yes, combine, let's combine e-learning and gamification. So I was basically, you know, sort of taking something I was enthusiastic about but had zero real-world experience with and, <laughs> like, baking that into a proposal and saying, you know, let's do this. Let's let's rock and roll here. We can make this happen. And, and the project did not go super well, as you can imagine, because <laughs> – I was operating, you know, from a very slender base of, of actual expertise. And it was, again, it's just a, a story about saying yes when what I should have said is no. It's scary to do that. I, I know that it's super scary to do that in certain situations where you think, okay, if I say no to this, I don't know where the next client project is coming from, or I don't know where the next opportunity is. That makes it extra hard to say no. Right. That's always the fear, because, right, because as freelancers, we're always worried about what's coming next. How can I make sure my pipeline is as deep as possible mm -hmm. so that I can you know, sleep at night? And saying no explicitly would seem to, and, and I guess on the face of it, restricts that pipeline and says, I'm going to give up money um, that someone is offering me. So so a bit of a short-term versus long-term thing. But if you end up doing a project that's not a good fit for you, then the ramifications can be even worse. Because not only will you feel bad, but instead of getting a client who will want to work with you for a long term, you'll get a client who will say to their peers, oh, I just worked with you know, so-and-so, and I had a terrible experience, do not hire them. That sort of undoes five, ten positive recommendations right there. I think, I think it can be extremely damaging. And not only that, you can, like that actual, that project I was talking about, I ended up doing 100 hours of free work. It had to do with, wow. like, that was because I made yet another mistake and mismanaged a subcontractor. So it doesn't exactly support my point. But yet it was one of the many sort of stressful and difficult things that came out of saying yes when I should have said no. So it's just there can be a lot of pressure, I guess, is one of the things that I'm seeing in our in our conversation about this. There can be a ton of pressure to say yes. It can be hard to say no. Right, right. Because again, you know, 
if someone is offering you a, a business opportunity, you don't want to say no to them. And I think part of it is that by saying no, for, first of all, there are people who are in less of a position to do that, right? If, if you really don't have any work happening, then it's, it's very easy for us to say, say no to it. And I think it's sort of a long-term view of you want to get to the place where you can say no, but saying no will also help you to hone what you're interested in, what you specialize in, what you're good at, and will then help to attract the right kinds of clients. But like, <laughs> I, I think if someone's offering you money and you really need it, don't, don't be uh, saying to say, no, no, no. This is sort of a strategic plan, less than a tactical one. Yeah, I guess that really is the first step, uh, or it was for me, was to realize that for a while, I definitely was in that position where... If I said no, there was like I, I couldn't create a spreadsheet <laughs> that would say where that missing money was going to come from if I said no to an opportunity. So it, it really seemed pretty definitive that, I, you know, the only answer available to me was, yes, take this work <laughs> and, you know, you may not love it. It may not be perfect for you, but it's better than, you know, missing a rent payment or a mortgage payment or something like that. Right. And right. I, I think there's a lot of people who are in that, that position. And so what I would say to folks in that position is take that feeling of whatever the feeling is for you, like that feeling of discomfort about saying yes, when you would rather say no, or that feeling of uh, dread, like I know that I'm going to hate doing this, but I, I got to make this month's rent and use that to try to channel that feeling into creating a situation where you can start to say no, because after some practice, some years of practice, I can tell you that saying no, when you know that that's the best thing for everybody involved feels so good. <laughs> it feels incredible. So, but right. again, just know that you may have to kind of work your way into that situation over time. It's not just a mindset thing where, where you can say, okay, I, I get it. I, I know that I need to not be the malpractice doctor. I need to be looking out for my client's best interest. And so I need to say no sometimes. You can't just sort of snap your fingers and change your mind about that and make it happen instantly unless you have, I don't know, some money in the bank or uh, some credit <laughs> to sort of carry you through a, a time when you're transitioning to a different way of doing things. Right. So so there, there are a few different reasons you might want to say no, right? Like, I mean, and the first and most obvious one is scheduling. I don't have time to deal with this person. But that's not really what we're talking about. It's more like, well, so so what are some reasons, right? One, one that comes to mind is this is something that you really don't specialize in. This is something you don't know how to do. Right. You lack the time, which you, you know, you pointed out. You lack the expertise or you lack the expertise plus experience to confidently promise the, the kind of results that are needed, why, why else would you say no? Here's the reason. You just don't like the person that would be <laughs> your point of contact or you don't like the client's business. I've talked to some freelancers up in Canada who kind of are in that region of Canada that has a lot of oil and gas business. And for some people, that's ethically, that's a problem. They, they don't, you know, they don't agree with the business practices or, or the type of business. And that would be a reason to say no. Right. I mean, I, I've got a, a client now where I was just really, like, over the last few weeks, really frustrated with how they were treating me and what was going on. And I hadn't set a few limits. And I had sort of, I kept saying, well, I prefer not to do this, prefer not to do that. And I think I was, I was too American with them. You know, in Israel, <laughs> in Israel, I need to say that is, I need to be a little more direct. Like, that is terrible. I will never do that. And they would see that as negotiation rather than, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> so so we, we had a very difficult phone call, which I said, I'm not going to work with you. And the woman was so shaken to her core that I would say this, 
that she was like, oh, I didn't realize you were really upset about all these things. So it looks like I'm going to work with them, but we'll see if I work with them anymore mm-hmm. after this particular course and project. But yeah, like you definitely get you can get a feeling from certain businesses that they're just not going to be a good fit. And my wife is always the one like if I bounce that things off of her and I say to her, yeah, I spoke with this new company today. I've never worked with them before. And they give me a funny feeling. And she will always say to me, if you have that feeling now, drop them now because it'll just get worse when you actually do the project. Right. The, the pre project is always the most positive thing. So if that's bad. Bad sign. Yeah, I agree completely. For a time I had, I think we can touch on this more when we start talking about like learning how to say no. There was a time when I needed to sort of give myself additional external support in saying no. And one of the ways I did that was trying to think objectively about what makes a good client for Philip Morgan Consulting. And so I kind of cataloged all the clients I'd ever worked with and any one that ended up not working out or, or not being a, a really good project or me having to fire them or something like that, I asked myself, did I did I have a kind of a funny feeling in my stomach about this before money changed hands or before we signed a contract? And the answer was yes. Every time there was always <laughs> a sort of, you know, your intuition or that little voice inside your head or whatever, however you want to think about it, you know, your gut, always there was some sign that uh, this doesn't feel quite right. And it was 100% accurate. I think there have been a f- maybe one or two surprises where I didn't have that and maybe it didn't work out so great, but never did I f- have that feeling and it worked out well. And, you know, I guess you could argue that was me sort of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe I kind of influenced the project by not living, you know, not doing a great job because I had that feeling. But I think also you could argue that you always know, <laughs> you always know if you're going to get along well with a client. And I wish I had said no in those cases because I would have saved myself stress or, you know, some other sort of unfortunate result. So I think that's a reason to say no, is that you just you have a funny feeling about the project, like maybe the client's not telling you everything or something. I, I don't mean to pin it all on the client, because as often as anything, it's just it's just not a good fit. It's like not everybody's meant you know, to get married to every other person. You know, there's such a thing as, as good and bad fit when it comes to relationships. Absolutely. Especially with something like, you know, consulting, you're going to be working with these people. It's going to be probably an intense relationship and they're going to depend on you for things. Yeah. I, I often tell people that it's just like, it's a matter of chemistry and we have to make sure that it'll actually work out. I mean, I know Jonathan's um, sort of rule of thumb is he only works with people with whom he feels like he can go out and, you know, have a good cup of coffee with them. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that my clients need to be my best friends, but I definitely want to have a sense of, yeah, we're happy to work together. We're really satisfied with this. And we feel like everyone's getting something good out of this relationship. Two other specific aspects of that that occur to me are one is communication and the other is sort of the power dynamic, I guess, would be the direct way of saying that. So communication, like I think that's the lifeblood of any kind of relationship, and the relationship is sort of the foundation that the success of the project rests on. And it, so if a client is unable to prioritize communicating in a timely fashion, or if their communication is just not effective, like they won't ever get on the phone if that's what's called for, and they only use email, or vice versa, if you know if they only want to make a phone call when email would be a lot more effective way, to me, those those can actually fundamentally break a project. 
Mm-hmm. So I think uh, communication style is a is a reason to say no to a particular client, even if all the other checkboxes on that sort of checklist of qualifying the client are checked. I think that can be a complete deal breaker if the communication piece is not there. And then the other one is if the client puts you in the wrong box in terms of they think of you as a pair of hands and you want to be functioning more as an advisor and a consultant, that's a reason to say no. And I mean, likewise, if they're expecting you to be a advisor or a consultant and you just don't have the skill yet to do that, then that would be a reason to say no, to you know, gracefully say, well, you know, what you guys need is, is going to be better served by somebody else. And so I think those are two specific reasons to say no. Again, even if all the other sort of checkboxes are checked, those those two things I think can really make or break a project. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I know. Like so, so recently I've had like not that many people. Probably like once every six months, I've had someone turn to me and ask me to do a particular thing de- dealing with replication of their their Postgres database. Uh huh. And. It's definitely the sort of thing, you know, listeners, if anyone wants to get into this business, I highly recommend it. No, because it's clear that as interest in PostgreSQL is growing and growing very, very rapidly, people want to deal with replication. So they can have like high availability, they can have multiple servers running. Mm -hmm. And so people keep coming to me and asking me to set that up for them. And basically, I've started to realize, you know, I just don't want to be in this business. Mm -hmm. I enjoy sort of going to companies and giving them overall database help. I enjoy going to companies and sort of doing consulting in general. And this could be like a beautiful productized consulting offering. And I thought about it long and hard, like, is this something I want to do? And the answer was no. I have, I have enough other things on my plate. And it would require, and this is the real reason, like it would require taking time away from the things that I love, that I've got a pipeline for, that I feel like I'm well known at and that I'm good at, and sort of devote time to something new in a different direction that doesn't necessarily dovetail directly with the other directions I'm going in. So when someone contacted me a few weeks ago, I said no, and it felt really weird. Yeah. Because previously I would have said, well, I'll see if I can find you time, or I'm not available. But this time it was just like, no, I, I, I'm not really doing that right now. And, and he understood. Like, he seemed to understand. You know, that makes me think, A, that that could be for the right person, that could be a really nice sort of high profit margin, very defined scope service offering. Big time. But it also makes me think that one of the reasons to say no is – not the project itself, but the sort of ancillary things around it, like you know that after the project is over, there's going to be a ton of follow-on support, and you don't want to do that, or you're not yeah. set up to do that, or you don't have the bandwidth to do it, or you you just hate being interrupted with little nitpicky support requests, and what you want to do is build software in a different way. And, and I think that's potentially a reason to say no, or at least to say – no, I'm not going to do that, but we, we need to partner with you know somebody else to sort of hand that off because they, they really like doing that ongoing support, and that's a real sweet spot for them. Right. So that could be a reason to say no is not, not the core of the project, but something connected to it that you know is going to kind of not poison it, but just make it not ideal. It's, it's going to be less time box. It's going to become a support thing. And if you're not in the support business, I, j- I just saw someone, I think it was on uh, Brendan's uh, forums, where someone was saying, how do you deal with all these support calls from a bunch of different clients? Like, how do you build mm-hmm. them? How do you mm-hmm. balance that? And I thought to myself, wow, I haven't had to deal with that in so long <laughs> because I'm, I'm sort of mostly out of the support business. Not completely, but mostly. But I do remember having that. And so by sort of switching my business to a different direction, I wasn't in the unfortunate position. I was fort- fortunate in many ways of having a bunch of people call you at the same time 
saying, I need your time right now, and then having to turn them down saying, uh, I'd love to help you, but it'll take two days because I'm busy with other stuff. I know. And I mean, occasionally, even though what I do is marketing work, I still get things that are kind of like support requests on old projects. And, you know, I like supporting my clients and keeping a long-term relationship with them, but I can't help but notice that, you know, a support request can kind of torpedo my day. If I have to, you know, give it a priority sort of response, it can, whatever I was planning on doing that day may not happen. So it's it's sort of worth thinking long term about the uh, the ramifications of what you do say yes to. Another observation that comes to mind is you know we're we're talking about like transitioning from this place where using no as a tool to get where you want to go, right? Is sort of what we're talking about here. And what I've noticed in my own business, I think this varies case to case, is uh, it takes about six months for me to sort of execute any kind of big change like, oh, I don't want that work as much as I want this other kind of work. Even even more like it can take eight months or 12 months, I think, to, to execute those kind of changes. So it, as people are thinking, hopefully, <laughs> what they want to say no to more frequently, just know that, it, again, it's not an overnight thing. It takes time for these transitions to happen. Right. With, with your move away from coding and, and towards training, what was the time frame on that, Reuben? I'm guessing it was over the course of about a year or two okay. that and it, was, it just sort of all happened together where I was getting more and more training. And so people, if they call you for development work, at least my experience, and it could be other people uh, have different experiences. My experience is like they call you for development work. They want it now. They want it in a week. They really don't want to have to wait even a month or two. Right. And so by filling up my schedule with training, which does tend to be very long term, it almost put me in a position of saying, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's all, like that's what led me to realize, wait, I'm having a good time. I don't want to do that as much. Mm-hmm. right? Maybe if it's a one-off project, maybe here and there to, to do something that's really particularly interesting. But for the most part, basically, I'm just not interested in day-to-day coding stuff now. It was a good amount of time. And just it wasn't even me sort of purposely excuse me, deciding that. It just sort of, sort of happened. Mm-hmm. And then, then I, I came to that conclusion. Yeah, that's interesting. Do, do people, I mean, I'm curious, Philip, do people come to you? I mean, you, you have a very, I guess this is appropriate, right? You have a very well-defined sort of, you know, specialty and positioning yeah. in terms of the kind of marketing you want to do. But do people still come to you asking for marketing advice that, that is out of your scope, that is out of what you'd like to work on? Occasionally. Here's what that looks like. You know, someone sees me talking a lot about content marketing and maybe I get a referral, which, you know, I appreciate tremendously. But the referral is like for somebody who needs who's in like a B to C, like a business to uh, consumer type business. And the content marketing help that I provide is just so focused on B2B sales. And it's a whole different ballgame. Uh, you wouldn't maybe know this if, if you don't know a little bit about how content marketing works, but it's a completely different ballgame when it's a B2B situation versus a B2C situation. So that's an example of where I have to say, you know, I'd love to help you, but I don't really have any expertise in making B2C content marketing. Here's why it's different than what I do. And if I knew anybody, I would refer you, but I don't. So sorry. So like that's an example of getting approached for something where I can tell you five, three years ago, five years ago, I would have done everything in my power to say yes. I would have you know, jumped online and just done a bunch of quick research and tried to figure out the techniques that are working for that B2C approach and put together a proposal and really tried to sort of pitch this person on me being the right choice. Now I just 
I mean, I, I don't ever for a minute take this for granted that I have the ability to say no. It's like it's a tremendous freedom that I've worked very hard to obtain, but it's also I realize that it's I don't want to use the word luxury because, again, I've I've worked my ass off for it, but uh, it, it's it's a nice position to be in. That's the culmination of years of building up to that point. And it, it just, it, again, it feels wonderful to know that I'm doing the right thing for me and for the client equally, you know, doing the right thing. It just, it feels great. So, and, yeah. In that, my experience, if you do that also, like, they appreciate it. Like on a few occasions, I've said to people, I just don't know enough about that technology to help you. You know, that's not something I can really do for you. No one's ever said to me, what? That's outrageous. I really want you to work on this thing. They all say, wow, I really appreciate your honesty. Typically, they'll ask me if I do know someone in that space who can help them out. And then you can be sure that at some point down the road, they will be speaking to someone and the thing in which you do specialize comes up and your name will come to the top of the list. That's right. I don't want to come across too strongly when I say this, but I think as a profession, you know, freelancers in general, I think tend to not be super disciplined about saying no. And I think as a result, clients have been trained to be a little bit suspicious, uh, rightly so, because if you went to the general practitioner doctor who said, sure, we can do some brain surgery and that went wrong and, and word got out, people would become very suspicious, again, rightly so, of GPs who offer to do brain surgery. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that I, I think client, that's why I think that's why clients are surprised if you say no as a freelancer is uh, because they've sort of been trained to expect you to fit yourself to the task, even if it's a bad fit. And it, again, it doesn't help if you have a, a sort of a personal background as a people pleaser. So those first many times that I said no, I had to I had to sort of build in some support for myself so I wasn't just saying no. But one of the ways you can do that is just explain your reasons for saying no. I think the easiest no to deliver is the one we're talking about where it's, I'm not going to be able to hit this out of the park for you. This is not going to be a home run because I lack the experience or the skills or I've just chosen to focus elsewhere. So I can't take this on and I'd like to refer you or, or good luck finding somebody on your own. Here's some resources that might help with that. Like that's the easiest note to say, right? Right. Have you had, no, ever no. had to say any no's you really didn't want to that were kind of more difficult? There was a client I had a few years ago where I didn't quite like the project and like they were, they were paying okay. They weren't exactly paying on time, which was my ostensible reason for, for leaving them. But I think they would have sort of figured that out. I really had no patience for that. But it just didn't feel like the sort of client with whom I, I wanted to work more. And I told the CEO that I was just not going to work with, with them anymore. And it did feel bad because I felt like, oh, I'm kind of leaving them in a lurch. But I do think on balance it was totally the right decision. But it took some time to, to get the perspective to realize that. Yeah, those are tough where you said yes at one point, right? You said, okay, yeah. I'll help you. But we can You can be my client and I'll, I'll help you out. And then you had to change your mind about it. That is so personally difficult for me because, uh, you know, Robert Caldini kind of identified this in his book on influence. People like to be consistent and I'm no different. I don't want to appear flaky in, in the slightest for any reason. So once mm -hmm. I say yes, I, it is very hard for me to change my mind about something like that. I've had to do it though. I've, I've fired clients that I said yes to and, and then, you know, it didn't work out. Right. And, and I think, I mean, you keep saying, well, you, you might, you know, you feel like a people pleaser. I think for many of us, that's why we're in this business. I, I love that feeling. I mean, when people email me and say, 
you know, your book really helped me, your column really helped me, your work really helped me. I, I, I write back to them and say, you know, you just made my week. And I'm not exaggerating because yeah. getting that sort of feedback is so empowering and so exciting. And, and I think we all wish we got that kind of feedback all the time. But to get it, you know, on a, a regular basis from people who are enjoying our work is almost addictive. And so yeah. you think, well, if I can service more people, then I can get that more. But it's just not possible. You know, can't please all the people all the time. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I want to add some sort of if for people who have no problem saying no. This is going to sound funny and like, why, Philip, why do you need to do that stuff? But for I think for those of us who are coming from that place of really preferring to say yes, whether it's a good idea or not, I've got a couple of techniques <laughs> that you, that people can use to learn to say no. One of those is asking for more time and not making a decision about something in the moment. So mm -hmm. what would be a good example? Let's say a client is like, hey, can you do X? And X is either out of scope for the project or a bad idea or uh, something that's not really going to contribute to the kind of results you're trying to create or, you know, there's a, a potentially a million reasons why you should say no, right? X is something you should say no to. And there's some emotional part of you that's very strongly saying, well, just do it anyway. Don't rock the boat. Don't, don't upset the client. Don't, you know, you're lucky to have this work. You don't want to lose it. These are all the like internal voices <laughs> that people pl pleasers hear inside their head. And so one way to deal with that is to never make a decision in the moment. I mean, not make any decision, but one of these more difficult decisions where you want to say yes, but you really should say no, is to not make that decision in the moment and, you know, say, I got to check my calendar. I got to check with my team. Let me think about it uh, just to make sure I give you a good answer. And use that sort of distance from the moment to either build up your courage or, you know, sort of develop a watertight explanation for why you need to say no or something, you know, whatever you need. It just I found that that really takes some of the pressure off of saying no doesn't ultimately make it that much easier, but it does make it somewhat easier to say no. And so that's one, I think, useful strategy for kind of building up your no muscle, <laughs> your, you know, your ability to say no. Another one is to involve a third party if that's legitimate. And then anyone who's ever negotiated the price of a automobile from a car dealer, at least in the U.S., I don't know if this is how that works, uh, Reuven, in, in Israel, but here in the U.S., here's the very common thing. You'll be taken into a small office with the salesperson, you'll talk about a bunch of stuff, and then at some point a deal's on the table, and the salesperson will say, I've got to take this to my manager, to the sales manager. And they will leave the room for some length of time, and what they really do, uh, who knows? But uh, <laughs> what they say they're doing is checking with their superior who has the ability to authorize the deal or say, sorry, I can't do it for, you know, here's the best I can do. And not that you should overuse this technique, but it is a potentially useful technique for negotiating a, something where you would ordinarily say yes, you know you should say no. You can sort of involve a third party. I checked with my team, and they say we can't do it for this reason. Uh, I checked with my spouse, and the spouse is really going to be upset if I do that, so I got to say no. It, it is a little – I mean, you can sort of overuse it and kind of – it's like a weasel move, but it, it's also, I think, a useful way to get yourself used to saying no so that eventually you can say no in the moment 
for whatever reason you need to say no and and not have to employ these techniques. But I just wanted to throw them out there as kind of a transitional strategy for folks that maybe have trouble saying no. Right. It also sometimes helps to sort of walk the client through it and have them come to the conclusion of no. Mm-hmm. You can say, you know, you start, start to ask them about, well, what technology is going to need? What schedule are you going to need? And when you start to say, well, hmm, you know, I could definitely learn about this or I could definitely sort of fit it in here or there. And it becomes obvious that you could do it, but they, they want to have someone who's really enthusiastic about it and is really an expert in it. The reason they're calling you in is not because, oh, we need someone to work on this, but we need someone to work on this who actually knows about it. Mm-hmm. And so I can't remember any ex- examples offhand, but I, there have definitely been times when I've said, well, I could do this. I don't know if I'm the best fit. Why don't you tell me more? As they walk through, I say, well, yeah, I'd have to do this and this and this and this and this, right? especially with courses. Like, well, I could. Oh, I know. I know. Sometimes I get called in for uh, calls for pearl courses. I'm like, well, I haven't taught it in at least like six years and I have to get up to date. I have to do this, I have to do that. And that's when they usually say, you know what, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to stop pushing you. I'm going to find someone who's really up to date and has taught this more recently. Because sometimes, sometimes they sort of insist. They're like, I've worked with you before. I want to have you work on this. And I'm even willing to pay you to sort of to, to prepare it. And so then my experience is at least saying no to them doesn't work that well. Uh, and I don't want to be rude. So I say, listen, here are all the reasons. And then they're like, you know, eh, that's a good point. Fine. You win. <laughs> yeah, I think that you can either use that strategy sort of while you're saying no or almost to direct the conversation. So just basically asking why, you know, a client says, would you do this? Could you do this? And you basically say, maybe, but can we explore why you want to do that or help me understand why you want to do that? That that may actually kind of give you the ability to sort of, like you said, Riven, just kind of walk them through the implications of what they're asking for and help them realize that no is is not the answer that you're giving them. It's the right answer or it's, you know, the best answer for, for that question. Right. We should probably start to wrap up soon. Are there any other hints for people to either say no or how to or, or when to? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this through. I mean, the big points we've really touched on, it does get easier. And I mean, of course, if, if you go too far with this idea of saying no, it, it can it can harm you if you say no to all opportunities um, or if if you aren't really reasonable about it. So, again, it, it just it's something that should be used, I think, more like a, a scalpel than a machete. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, what? I, I know I know a lot of people have you know, built into their sort of onboarding process, strong hints as to who they like to work with. Mm-hmm. So that again, like the client realizes before the freelancer even has to say, I don't think I want to work with you. The client realizes maybe this is not the sort of person with whom I want to work. Could be the kind of questions you're asking when someone inquires via a contact form. Could be the sort of process between an initial inquiry and money changing hands is, you know, Maybe not an arduous process, but it's a very disciplined and defined process. Those are both ways, I guess, of of telegraphing that not everybody gets a yes or not everybody gets through the the aperture that you have to get through to be to become a client. Right. And and of course, no one wants to sort of join the popular thing. They want to join the exclusive thing. So in some ways, while turning people off and, and, and saying, well, I only work with clients who are like this and this and this, or I only work with you know, people who have uh, the following 
factors in their favor. Yes, it's going to turn off some people, but other people are going to say, wow, I wonder if I am in that special group. Yeah, that just makes me think of a pick that I'll offer that may help folks with that. I don't think I have much to add in terms of summing up, but it's definitely something to, to sort of think about in a, in a medium to long term. Like what sorts of clients do you want to have a year from now? And how can you start to push your clients both like in the positive direction of I am interested in the following sorts and then also the negative direction of like I'm not interested in the following sorts. And when people come to you, start to sort of move in that direction so that over the next, say, year, you can get to where you want. I think that's like sort of my big takeaway. Yep. I would say the same. It's not a magic bullet. It's not going to make anything change for the better overnight. But I, I think it's one of those sort of muscles that you build up as a business owner, as a freelancer, that eventually makes things better because of how it works over time. So, yeah, absolutely. What you said, Reuven. <laughs> so, Philip, you uh, you mentioned you have at least at least one pick. What do you got this week? Okay, I guess two picks. You know, we talked about sort of the power dynamics of a relationship with a client. I, I may have picked this before, but it just reminds me of the book called Pitch Anything. The full title is Pitch Anything, an Innovative Method for Presenting, Persuading, and Winning the Deal. And this is by a guy named Oren Claff. It's kind of presenting a combination of basic stuff that I think it's good for even a beginning freelancer to know, and then very sort of sophisticated stuff that you have to be in a somewhat rare position, I think, to be able to pull off successfully. So it's not a it's not like a beginning textbook for negotiation, but you know, when it comes to that idea that you were talking about, Reuven, of sort of being the prize or being a thing that not anybody can have, it, it really speaks to that idea and, and sort of get in a very, I think, entertaining and engaging way, sort of walks you through how that works. So it's a book that's available, Kindle, paper, and Audible. And uh, actually getting the Audible is what I did. And I think it's pretty interesting because the author reads it and sort of almost in in the tone of voice that the author is using to read it kind of gives you an idea of the of kind of attitude that comes with <laughs> with this. It's it's I, Cocky is not quite the right word, but very confident <laughs> and not overly serious or overly anxious about anything. And I do, I do think those sorts of ways of being go hand in hand with, you know, being willing to walk away from a deal, for instance. So anyway, pitch anything. Sorry, that was kind of long. And I'll just remind folks that part of saying no is knowing what you want to say yes to. <laughs> and part of knowing what you want to say yes to is uh, defining what kind of market position you want to go after. So I have a free email crash course that would be worth checking out if you haven't already. You can find that at positioningcrashcourse.com. And that, I think, will be my second pick for this week. PositioningCrashCourse.com. Get clear on who you, who it is you do want to say yes to so that you can say no more strategically and more effectively. Excellent. So I have a, a fun pick. Um, so my, my wife is a, an art historian and curator. And it turns out that those stereotypes of crazy artists are 100% true, unless you are one of the artists with whom she works, in which case this does not apply to you. So... <laughs> And we sometimes compare notes, and I say to her, listen, yeah, it's true artists are crazy, but people in the computer industry are kind of crazy also. <laughs> They're just a different kind of crazy. And so I've been watching Silicon Valley, the HBO series, and I have not laughed so hard in quite some time because 
the stereotypes that they have in there are so recognizable and so hysterically funny that anyone who's been working in this industry for a while, not necessarily physically in Silicon Valley, will recognize the crazy investors, the crazy programmers, the crazy companies, and how all the companies, like we know that all they want to do is become the next Google, but they will claim that they just want to change the world and make it a better place. It is... (laughs) Really, really, I I encourage you to take a look at Silicon Valley and uh, get some perspective on this wacky uh, technology industry that we use and in which we're a part. I just want to second that. (laughs) I agree with everything you said. It's just laugh out loud funny and the sort of the level of insight into these sort of almost archetypes of, you know, bizarreness that show up (laughs) in the Silicon Valley gold rush are are pretty hilarious. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Philip. And uh, we will see you all next week on The Freelancer Show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.